From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The COP26 climate summit in Glasgow was seen as the world's last best chance to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees and avoid catastrophic climate change. On that measure, it failed. The pledges made will instead see temperatures rise by nearly two degrees. But world leaders have agreed to meet again next year to revisit their targets and hopefully extract bigger promises from countries like Australia. Tim Flannery, one of Australia's most well-known environmentalists, had a front-row seat at the negotiations and to what he describes as Australia's embarrassing contribution. Today, Tim Flannery on what unfolded at COP26 and his hopes for the future. It's Monday, November 22. Tim, hello, it's Ruby. How are you? Hello, Ruby. How are you? I'm good. Um, Welcome back. Have you uh, just landed? I have, yeah, just late last night. So, And um, how was it? It was amazing. It was really, you feel, I felt like I was at a very historic event, you know? Mm-hmm. And so could we begin by talking about Australia's presence at COP26? How would you describe what it was like on the ground? Well, look, the Australian pavilion this year was <laughs> remarkably like a cafe. There was a, the best coffee in the entire complex was to be had gratis, the Australian pavilion. So we had people clocking in from far and wide. The Prime Minister and the Minister, Angus Taylor, were notable by their absence much of the time. I never met them there and I was there quite often. The pavilion was notable for the absence really of any physical Indigenous presence. There was a couple of videos rolled out, but there were no Indigenous people there brought over by the government, which was rather surprising. Um, fossil fuels, lots and lots of interest in that, um, but not much in the, the energy transition or anything else. So it was, uh, it was an interesting spot to be. Right. So Australia's continued commitment to fossil fuels, just how out of place was that at the summit? We must have been one of the only countries taking that position. Yeah, look, you know, Saudi Arabia even was towing the line a bit. And certainly the UAE, another fossil fuel heavy area, was totally uh, converted to, to rapid action on climate change. They realised there's no future in fossil fuels. So the UAE is keen to leverage nature-based solutions to mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change. As we are a co- Australia was the absolute standout. We were the only developed country, the only country I saw whose pavilion was festooned with fossil fuel advertising. So I don't know. We were, we were way out of step. And over the same time, our economy has grown by 45%, proving that economic growth and jobs is not at odds with emissions reduction. Ready? The Australian way is to bet on them, and we think that's a good bet. Thank you. And the mood of this COP was one of urgency, determination and to see that this had to be done. We need to be more ambitious and we need more credible plans for implementation. I think that was, you know, that was the main the main thing that's changed. The mood in the room has changed quite dramatically. People are taking a science seriously. You know, things are changing at every level. The only thing that wasn't changing was Australia. And it's very frustrating to see countries that have spent 
six years conspicuously patting themselves on the back for signing that promissory note in, in Paris, quietly edging towards default. And Tim, how would you characterise the attitude that other nations had towards Australia's position on climate this year? Given the targets that we brought to the table, what kind of backlash did we experience from world leaders? What were people saying to you? Well, look, that's a really interesting question because uh, in the past, Australia's had a bit of cover. There's been other nations that haven't wanted to act as fast, including places like India and so forth. And so Australia has had a bit of cover and it's been able to get away with, with some things that it simply couldn't get away with this year. Australia has cut against the grain at COP26, saying that it intends to continue selling coal despite pledges from more than 40 countries here in Glasgow to reduce their dependence on it. You know, I, I tend to think of Australia as sort of the mad uncle at Christmas dinner, you know, not really welcome but tolerated in previous COPs. This COP, everyone ganged up and decided to do something about it because the position was simply getting intolerable. Australia was so far out of step with any other developed country. Uh, there was zero patience with us. I, I would be particularly looking out for uh, China speaking out about this, Saudi Arabia too. Australia. Australia, those big, big polluters. And I felt quite deeply embarrassed, actually, as an Australian being there, just knowing how much we could have done and to see the, the anger with some other developed nation representatives. Leaders of the G20, we are drowning, and our only hope is the life ring you are holding. There's sort of despair among Pacific Islands people, you know, saying, look, why are you doing this to us? Why are you seem determined to see our nation sink below the sea? You might as well bomb our islands instead of making us suffer only to witness our slow and so, you know, it was, it was not a pretty, not a pretty sight this, the, at this COP for Australia. Right. So Australia and a handful of other countries remained unwilling to budge in terms of their support for fossil fuels. Then, Tim, on the very last day of the summit, we saw things get worse. The president of COP26, Alok Sharma, he almost broke down in tears. So what happened? May I just say to all uh, delegates, um, I apologise for the way this process has unfolded um, and uh, I'm deeply sorry. Look, I think they were tears of frustration and they were very genuine. I also understand the, the deep disappointment. But I think as you have noted, it's also vital that we um, protect this package. What had occurred was that the, you know, the UK presidency wanted to make this the meeting that would deliver the earth safely from, a, you know, from catastrophic climate change. And that meant gathering enough commitments to reach a, a maximum heating of the planet of just one and a half degrees, 1.5 degrees. On behalf of the EIG, we would like to express our profound disappointment that the language that we have agreed on, on coal and fossil fuel subsidies has been further watered down. Now, they didn't get there in the end. They got to about pledges that were sufficient to, to see us heat to 1.8 degrees. This commitment on coal had been a bright spot in this package. It was one of the things we were hoping to carry out of here and back home with pride. And it hurts deeply to see that bright spot dim. 
and that was where the frustration lay. You know, Alok Sharma knew very clearly that the fate of entire nations was in his hands to deliver this, this target. He didn't do it, but what he did do was leave the door open for nations to return next year to renew their pledges and tighten down on those pledges to reach 1.5 degrees. We're going to have the next one, COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. And I think the fact that we've got the coal language in means that at future COPs, we can push further on that particular issue. In Egypt next year at COP27, I hope that we'll finally get those pledges in place. And then you know, all horses will be there and we'll all be in the same race. We'll be racing to the finish line to get this job done. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Tim, what does the end result at COP26 mean, both for the world in terms of preventing runaway climate change, but also for Australia's environmental and economic future? What are the consequences that are going to come out of this? Well, look, if the pledges are honoured, we'll go a very long way as a result of this COP towards stabilising Earth's climate. We won't go as far as we need to, but we'll go a very long way. To me, the most interesting thing about the COP was the, the general mood of the COP and the engagement of the public. We should never underestimate how inspiring it is for young people to see a group of humans get together to decide to change the Earth's energy system in a relatively short period of time. And I think we'll look back on COP26 as a sort of an exemplar that young people will hold up as they, they choose to change the world in ways they want to see in coming years. And you know, those people I saw demonstrating, young people I saw demonstrating on the streets, I know that within 20 or 30 years, they'll be the ones in the negotiating room. They'll be the ones in power. So um, I was deeply inspired by it. And I must say, I came away feeling great hope for the world that we've finally developed a model to negotiate some of the big things that we want to need to negotiate to give everyone a better future. It's interesting hearing you phrase it that way because that's not the message that a lot of people have come out of COP26 saying. A lot of people have described it as a failure. People like Greta Thunberg and when you look at the fact that 1.5 seems to be pretty much not alive anymore, um, I wonder why you kind of have that view. Well, 1.5 is alive. 
it is. We've we've got the chance next year to do those final few tenths of a percent to get us there. But the the pledges though, the pledges would see temperatures peak at one point eight to one point nine. That's right. So we've got to get three tenths of a degree more to be at one point five, and we can do that. So it is still alive. One point five is still alive. We can do it. It's going to take renewed pledges next year. Look, you know, there are always people who carpet anything and who'll see fault when things, and clearly there was a lot at the COP that, that didn't happen. It could have happened better, you know. But this is all an incremental process. And if you stand back and look at the whole thing in its entirety, you'll see an inspiring picture, I believe. And the only people that aren't moving is the federal government. Yeah. And what do you think that the federal government took away from COP26? Because I think Queensland Senator Matt Canavan said that Glasgow was a win for coal. The agreement did not say that coal needs to be phased down or taken out. It's a big green light for us to build more coal mines, supply the world. So what does that tell us about the way that they think that it went and what Australia's response will be domestically to COP26? Matt Canavan wasn't there, okay? So he's an outside commentator trying to put his own spin on it. What I saw was, you know, a scarcity of our, our political leaders. They didn't want to be there as far as I could see, particularly around the Australian Pavilion. Maybe, I mean, they were there. Perhaps I was just unlucky and didn't meet them. But um, my sense of it was that they were embarrassed because for the first time, the mood of the room was against them. There was always somewhere to hide in earlier cops. This one, there wasn't. Mm. And you mentioned that there is this agreement to meet again in 2022, I believe, in Egypt. And the aim of that is to tighten those pledges um, and and get further action. And I just wonder how you see that, because I think the way that COP26 was being talked about was this is our last best chance. And I just wonder how many last best chances you get at this. How many goes do you get before it's too late? Well, you know, there will be a moment when it'll be too late. And that's the moment when um, we are committed to, to one and a half degrees with no way back, or more than one and a half degrees with no way back. We're not quite there yet, but we have very little time to act. So, you know, we'll get we'll get a chance at COP27 next year in Egypt. If you think about climate as the long game, you know, it's taken us 200 years to get into this position. It's going to take us a while to get out of it. This, this year was absolutely critical and it achieved a very great thing in terms of getting sufficient pledges to see us peak at below two degrees. Tim, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, four children have died and another four people are in hospital after a house fire in southwest Melbourne early Sunday morning. The cause of the fire is unknown, with emergency services describing the scene as distressing. Police are investigating the blaze. And a new video that appears to show missing Chinese tennis star Peng Shui 
has been released by Chinese state-run media, but the Women's Tennis Association says it's insufficient proof that she is free and well. Peng is a former doubles world number one and has not been seen or heard from publicly since she accused China's former vice premier of coercing her into sex. A number of high-profile tennis stars, including Serena Williams and Rafael Nadal, have expressed concern for her safety. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.